Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And I pray that we're challenged and encouraged tonight. I'm so thankful for my friend Mick being here with me tonight as we, on the Zoom, as, as we, 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 Discover what you want us to discover in this lesson. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We start with, uh, golly, just, just a few, few words in a verse. Verse 1. When two full years had passed. Again, we're in Genesis 41 in our journey with Joseph. When two full years have passed. Pause. Mick, why were those two years important? What had happened? Why was he there for two years? Well, I think uh, this highlights uh, the fact that when last we saw Joseph in prison, he asked the cupbearer, hey, you know, um, you know, I gave you a favorable uh, interpretation for a dream, you know, put a good word in for a brother, which we saw there was nothing wrong with that. But I think that part of it is to show that God is controlling the story. And it wasn't because of Joseph's, you know, Joseph did something that eventually got him out out of prison as we're going to see happen in, in, in the few. Yeah. And that just begs the question, did the cup bear come through for him? Like is he, he gets out of prison and all of a sudden we find out two years have passed. In fact, the text last week said the cup bear forgot him mm -hmm. or did not remember him. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so we're kind of panicking a bit. And then our text today, the very next verse two full years i don't want you to paint anything that that's the text doesn't tell us that's going on in joseph's mind but if you were in joseph's position what kind of feelings would you be going through during this time oh my goodness well at this point uh i'd be losing hope i'm i mean it's clear that from what we see in joseph that he doesn't lose hope but me i'd be losing hope now, I'm not saying I've lost it at this point, but I'm just kind of uh, just losing it at this point. Yeah. And if I was angry at some point, if the anger was growing, I think that over those two years, my anger would have turned into bitterness. Mm -hmm. And I would be this sarcastic beast. And I would be snapping at people and whatever anxiety I was holding on to at first, I think I would be more on the depressed side at this point. Like nothing's ever going to change. And it's just one more chapter of my story. And I don't know if I can maintain much faith at that point. It'd and be very hard. Yeah. And I, I just, I wanted to, I wanted to ask that kind of question about you and, and offering my take on that too, because I, I think that contrast is going to be pretty evident here where Joseph mm -hmm. is, it's it, he almost he almost pulls a Naomi where Naomi is, is this bitter soul that all of a sudden she sees God at work and she snaps out of it. Yeah. And she's like, oh, wow. Oh, snap. <laughs> There's OK. God's at work. Here we go. And I wonder, I mean, we, we can't say Joseph's bitter like we could say because the text told us, you know, she literally said, call me bitter. Yeah. You know, Stop calling me Naomi. Call me Mara. But yeah, I, I'm just. I would be there, but let's just continue here. So he's got two years. So this, this is 41, one to eight here. So we'll, we'll read the first part we did before. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river, there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stock. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. So our first question here, Professor D, what is Pharaoh's situation? I think the text says it right there in verse 8. He was troubled. He was troubled. This bothered him, these dreams that he had. 
um, especially uh, back then where they put a lot of stock in dreams. And obviously he was one of these people who put a lot of stock in his dreams. And, uh, and the fact that no one could interpret it, well, well, that just didn't make matters better. Yeah, I mean, when you consider the fact that from all we know of ancient Egypt, uh, Pharaoh was considered one of the gods. So this guy was considered to be divine. And so I would imagine it would be unusual for him to need help, to be so troubled that he couldn't figure something out because he's one of the gods, you see. And so this must be quite a troubled mind that he's, yeah. he's reaching out. I yes. Mean, my goodness. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's in our, I mean, these, I've been woken up by a dream before. But to go back to sleep and get a second dream and have it also be troubling? I can't even remember my dreams. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, what picture does verse 8 paint for us, Nick? Well, it, it paints one of um, confusion and, and, again, the word troubled. You know, he, he's troubled, he, and he, he's obviously putting a lot of stock into this, so. It doesn't look very good. Yeah, he kind of, I mean, I wonder if in a mental state, he was like Joseph was in a legal state. He just mm -hmm. is kind of hopeless and helpless. Yeah. Or at least helpless. I mean, Joseph, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't read Joseph as hopeless, but he's pretty helpless. He just kind of, things just happen to him. And he doesn't really have much control over where he lands in terms of just what people have done to him. But Pharaoh definitely, he just, he's so hopeless that he's calling out for any answer he could find. Almost like the, 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 the winds at sea are so bad. It's like any port in a storm at this point. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to play into the narrative. Yeah. So we go to 9, 9 to 16. And there's a lot of repetition in, in this chapter, but you know, we can, we have to go with it. That's the way the Hebrew story puts it. So 9 to 16 here. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, oh yeah, the cupbearer, we forgot about that guy. He said to Pharaoh, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. So we are assuming that's Potiphar. Mm -hmm. I mean, based upon, okay. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. Okay, so there it is again. We, we told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. Okay. And we're going to 16. Okay. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer that he desires. And the word Joseph uses for God is Elohim. And so Elohim will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So, so Professor D, how does the cupbearer paint Joseph? Well, he obviously talks him up. Because he, he, he's, he witnessed it himself. In two dreams, granted, not both his own dreams, but he saw what happened in his experience. Three days later, he was restored, as Joseph said he would be restored in his dream. And three days later, the, the baker was, was impaled or hung, depending on the translation you use. Yeah, did um, I try to remember back to, to, to the chapter he describes of the two dreams. Did Joseph give glory to God? He did. And I don't, I don't remember. I mean, this is like, um, yeah, the cupbearer is basically saying he doesn't bring up Joseph's God. He, it's, he's almost like he's dancing around that. It's like, no, Joseph yeah. did. And so maybe, he, maybe he's finally realizing. He says, okay, I see I've, I've made a mistake. I made my error. I should have come through for that guy. So now I'll come through for him. You know, because he could have said, hey, you know, he's got this God that can interpret things. And so Pharaoh could very easily say, well, go get, go find a way to talk to this guy's God. And instead he made it about Joseph mm -hmm. and that, that got Joseph out of the pit. Yeah. In fact, I think that's the tension between Pharaoh's expectations and Joseph's theology there. Cause what's Joseph's theology on this Vic? Well, Joseph is God centered. He always takes it back to God. He recognizes God 
more so than any of the members in, in what I'm going to call his original family. I mean, I would even dare say more so than even Jacob. You know, you could tell Joe, Joseph is a guy who's been very God-minded since his, since his youth. He, um, you know, and I'm careful to say this because it's like he didn't deserve what was coming to him, you know, as if it was some sort of karmic thing. But, you know, humanly speaking, Joseph didn't do the sorts of things where you say, oh, look, he did that. Therefore, that happens. You know, the, the way people generally tend to think of things. That was not Joseph. Um, so we see that that Joseph constantly gives credit to God. He When he was talking with Potiphar's wife, he mentioned that, no, I can't do evil in the sight of God. When he told the guys in, in the previous chapter, you know, I, you know, my God can help with these dreams. And now he does it here again. So we see that that he is a very God-centered guy. Yeah, it's not like Potiphar's wife was right. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, well, Joseph, you know, you did sleep with her. So, you know, you should have, he probably could have killed you, but instead he threw you in prison. So you kind of have to make you, you made your bed, Joseph. You know, no, he, he was innocent and yeah. he was caught in some political wrangling and she, you know, her, her narrative won the day. You know, there's a, there's a tension here because, because, because the expectation of Pharaoh is tell me the answer. Yeah. And Joseph is very quick, like you said, to, to, to deflect that and say, no, this is God. And, and literally in the Hebrew there, it's, it's a really hard phrase to translate because it, it kind of like a favorable answer. The NIV puts it, the answer he desires. What the Hebrew says there is that you're going to have the shalom of Pharaoh. The, the, you're going to get the Pharaoh, you're going to get peace. And then this is, this uses of shalom is very, we can't find other, I believe it's the only time it's used that way, a shalom of a person. And so he's, Joseph basically says to him, God's going to give you peace on this. And it almost sounds like peace of, because what, what peace is Pharaoh one? Peace of mind. It's like he's troubled. Yeah. So it's that God is going to provide shalom to you and Elohim, in fact. And and so yeah, that's that that those are the those are the words that um, that's not you know the main Exodus title for God, which is more Yahweh or the I am. But he's he's bringing he's bringing in a more nuanced cultural name for God here, Elohim, this kind of a God of Majesty here, and. Yeah, uh, the shalom of Pharaoh, that uh, for his welfare, your mystery is going to be solved, Pharaoh. But it's not, it's not going to be, see, that, that's the difference between a favorable answer and that, because it may not be a good answer. You know, his dreams, I mean, they troubled him, maybe they troubled him for a reason. I've heard it said, it's kind of like, Mick, when a guy has chest pains and he goes to the doctor and the doctor tells him he's had a heart attack. That's not a favorable answer, but it does solve the mystery. Mm -hmm. And so Joseph is not proclaiming to Pharaoh, yeah, my God's got this. He's going to give you all your wildest dreams. He's going to, oh, I guess that's a bad pun. He, he, he's not going to give you all these wonderful blessings that you're just going to have a great time. No, we don't know what the answer is going to be right now. But many times we can go to God and say, well, God, just give me, give me, give me. And that's not his... But how can this tension here, Mick, between Pharaoh's expectation that, that Joseph's going to do it all and Joseph quick to say, no, 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 I'm not doing anything. It's God. How is that tension? How would that describe our ministry with others? Well, let me backtrack a little bit. I think one of the big things is there's several layers here. First of all, Joseph recognizes that the giver of dreams is God. He himself is a recipient of dreams. Mm. He's still waiting for the fulfillment of his dream. And he knows there's something to it because he had two dreams himself that were, well, we'll get into that in a little bit. That's true. He also understands that by the same token that if God's the giver of the dreams and God is the, the, the giver of the interpretation of the dreams as well. Mm. And the other thing is that bottom line, and I think this is the, the whole thing with, with, with the whole thing that this is a God-centered life for, for, uh, for Joseph is that he realizes that. God not only gives the dreams, not God not only gives the interpretations, but God is the giver of, of the, the talents, the, 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 the resources and the opportunities and everything that goes along with it. It's very clear in the way that Joseph responds that he knows that it all goes back to God. Yeah. And where, where someone like Pharaoh 
you know, he's, he's, he's a pagan. And, you know, sadly, you know, a lot of people, a lot of them, they think, well, you know, I deserve my, my circumstances or I brought myself up my bootstraps and therefore, you know, I'm, I'm the master of my, my ship and all that. And the truth of the matter is Pharaoh was born into it. I don't know about you, Mick, but I would imagine in the ministries that you have, people come up to you and they're looking for answers. They're looking for an explanation. They're looking for hope. And I, I see Pharaoh doing that with Joseph here. And this tension is that if Joseph had like this hero complex, if he had this savior mentality, he could have said, yeah, I got your back, Pharaoh. Yeah. You know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours or vice versa. Here I am. And let me handle your business. I can do this. I got this. Yeah. It's all about me. And I know like, as I journey with people, you know, it's the, the temptation is there. They're coming to you for hope and to be able to say, yeah, I, I, I've got your hope for you right here and I, I can help you. And to make it more about you and, and, and you're helping them than God helping them through you. So like being an instrument in the hands of, 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 of God here. And right. that, that tension is, I think, I think it's a beautiful example for all of us who minister to others. Yeah. I think, you know, usually the way it manifests itself, they'll ask us, what do you think about this? And then the idea is the, it's almost like they're looking like for your sage-like opinion. And this is where we have to always say, let's see what the Bible has to say about this. Amen. And, and bring it back to God. It, it doesn't yeah. matter what my thoughts or feelings are on any given issue, to be honest. The real question is, what does the Bible speak on that given issue? Because that's really the hope that we offer, isn't it? Yeah. I'm going to make a biblical counselor out of you yet. Yeah, that's exactly what we do in biblical counseling is we don't we don't rely upon anything else. And more of the secular world, they they encourage you to maybe to find the answer in your past somewhere or find it deep inside you. And the only hope that we have is God's word and just to open up God's word together. So, you know what, let's 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 talk. Let's let's investigate what our creator has to say about this. And, and like it or not, God's Pharaoh's creator too. And if God's the one moving these chess pieces behind the scene, then Joseph offered the only hope he had to offer. And I think that's a great example for ministers like us. Yeah. For those of us who care for others and especially the ones that God brings to our path and gets the, the ones that God brings asking us, you know, yeah. this is Joseph went two years without being hauled out of that dungeon. And now all of a sudden surprise. I'm being hauled out and I can't even imagine what's going through his mind. Okay. The cupbearer remember me or, okay. I don't know if that's, that's like Naomi's moment there where she realized God's at work. I don't know, but I think you pointed it out. The exact answer, Mick, is that we offer the only hope that we have. And that hope is God's word. In Joseph's case, God's going to give him that word. In our case, God has already given the word. Mm -hmm. And so Great. That's, that's great. This is, this is good stuff. So we get, we're going to have repetition here. So verses 17 is a big chunk here, 17 to 32. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph in my dream, because remember Joseph, it's repetition for us, but Joseph doesn't hear it yet. So he's finally hearing the dream. Okay. So in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. When out of the river, there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up scrawny and very ugly and lean I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came out first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads which that's how you can tell it's a dream because, you know, grain doesn't swallow grain, but here we go. And cows don't normally swallow their cows, but it's, it's a dream. All right, we're fine. I told this to the magicians. So the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God, and he uses Elohim again. Elohim has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one in the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years. 
and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God, or he, he again uses Elohim. The reason I keep saying that is he's talking to the leader of, of, of the free world at that point, the leader of his country, who's a pagan, who has, a, you know, 150 other gods to, that he, he wants to interact with. And so he, so we have, we don't have just Joseph just saying, God told me this. He's actually giving God a name each time. Elohim has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. Again, he uses Elohim both times. So, so Mick, I, I realize that our comments aren't really that necessary because Joseph explains it well, and we've already been over this a couple of times with the dream, but any comments here regarding the dreams and their interpretations? Well, I want to backtrack a little bit here to verse 21, and uh, this is where Pharaoh starts explaining. So the, the seven, and I'm going to call them the seven zombie cows, ate the seven lively cows. Nice. You'd think that they'd, that they'd become full instead, but they don't. I, I, I kind of love the fact that, that Pharaoh's using normal logic in something that is so illogical as a dream. So I thought that was pretty cool. You know, how is it that the zombies ate the these regular cows and they didn't fatten up. So yeah, that, so I mean, and it actually goes to show to the heart of why, why we we read this and we know the story so well that the interpretation clicks in automatically. But I'm trying to remember the first time I actually read it and I didn't know what it was gonna be until after it was explained. Mm. So yeah, um, so what was the question again? <laughs> I just, just, you're just giving comments on the dreams and the interpretations of the dreams. Well, yeah, there, there's a lot of cool things there. So there's there's the interpretation of the dreams and themselves, the seven good years and the seven famine years. And um, I think the big thing to me was when Joseph says, these two dreams are really one in the same. And then his explanation for it, that this is basically God confirming the dream. I want you to understand, Pharaoh, that this was not a case of indigestion. <laughs> this is not indigestion. This, this is something real and it's from God. That's why you had two dreams. You, you, you dismissed the first one when you got up in, in your stupor, but now you had a second one like that. That's because God is confirming to you, buddy, I'm doing something. Right. Yeah, he's not. And, and, and Joseph uses, and I realized when I spoke earlier about he didn't use you know Yahweh from Exodus. Exodus the Exodus, of course, hasn't happened yet. We're still in Genesis. Yeah. But the very idea of... We don't, he's not using, at this point, I believe in Genesis, we have um, like either El Elyon or we have El as a name for God, or we have, you know, Elohim's on the table. We also have like uh, the Lord God. And so we have also El Shaddai. So if Pharaoh, or excuse me, if Joseph was just wanting to add another God to the pantheon of gods that Pharaoh worshiped with all of their names, he could have given God one of his names. Mm -hmm. But instead, he uses something a bit more general, an Elohim, which it's, it is both a, a singular and a plural. The Hebrew is plural, but it's kind of like a majestic plural. And so is there something about it? Well, it, it could mean gods, but it also could just mean God, as in like the God. And so I think that's the, one of the tensions he's going to give him here, because you have to imagine one thing. The, uh, there was, the, Egypt had a God for the Nile. And also, I believe, a God for the flooding of the Nile. So that Egypt didn't get a lot of like rain, so to speak, but the Nile flooded, or I think they call it inundated. And it, it like the flooding of the Nile, where the Nile would escape its banks, that would water the crops. And so Pharaoh is going to have to comprehend what kind of deity does this Joseph speak for who could command and hinder two of our most powerful gods. I mean, this is, yeah, denial is not going to give up anything. And I mean, you notice that when we learn about the Exodus story, one of the plagues of Egypt directly attacks the Nile. And it's like, and then you've got, you know, it's like the Nile turns to blood. It's not offering any kind of sustenance. And so that's on purpose. And so Yahweh is attacking Egypt's gods. So we have here, 
this idea of man certainly any deity that could do this kind of thing to egypt must be powerful so i can imagine pharaoh's interest is piqued like whoa who is this guy what god can do that dang you know speaking as a god even he couldn't even do that he's going to be helpless what how important is verse 32 to the story mick Again, it goes to show that, that what God says, he does. And this is why he gave him the, the two dreams to confirm it. This is, again, you pointed this out earlier. This is a time when there is no written scripture. I, I would say at this point, there isn't even much of an oral tradition, considering how early on we are in the narrative, being that it's Genesis. So there, there's not a whole lot of confirmation outside of God giving it to you directly. And at this point, we also see that from, from what we were seeing here in Genesis, that, that God spoke to whoever he wanted to via dreams. And it seems to be a, a very common practice that God used in, in, in this time. Again, he spoke to the Pharaoh. He spoke to, to Joseph. He spoke to the, to the cupbearer. And he spoke to the baker. So we know that God does this. And the thing is that, uh, again, God is, is, is confirming that, yep, this is going to happen. And it's another doublet, isn't it? It's another double dream. Yeah. And I think there's something going on here, too, because as Joseph is, is saying this to, to Pharaoh, I got to think that Joseph is thinking in his mind, God did the same thing to me. Mm. God did the same thing to me. He gave me two dreams. And the two dreams are essentially, I remember asking you about those two dreams in our first session. You said, well, the, the interpretations are obvious. Yeah, but they're both obvious and they're both. I mean, if there if Joseph had a Joseph in the first chapter of our journey, that Joseph would have said the answers are one and the same, my friend, just like he's saying here to Pharaoh, you got two dreams, but they're the same answer. Yeah, it's like the seven years, the seven years, the seven years of, 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 of good than the seven year. So it's like your, your, your brothers are going to bow down to you, Joseph, and then your brothers and your mother. They're going to bow down to you. It's like it's basically the same answer with the double dream. Yeah. And here it is again. Yeah. So I, I you got to figure Joseph's like thinking, what's going on here? Mm. I just gave Pharaoh these two dreams. I had two dreams. And I don't want to get ahead of the story here. Well, let's just continue the story then because yeah. it's it's as if, um, let's see, uh, just I said to Pharaoh. Yeah. So Pharaoh's not even asking for anything to do. He just wants he just wants an answer. He wants to know why he was woken up. He wants to know what was going on. And none of it could explain it to me. So Joseph explains it to him. He could just, you know, do a dab and walk out the room or drop the mic and walk out the room and he's done. But instead, he shows that he truly is the wise man, like wiser than the others. It's like this is like Solomon territory. I mean, boom. Um, he continues 33 to 40. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him over in charge of all the land of Egypt. Wow. It almost sounds like um, Mordecai's advice. If only there was a guy to, to, to administer this kind of thing. And, and the hands up being the guy. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. So verse 37, this plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So evidently he had, he had his, his, his crew there too. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man one in whom is the spirit of God. Now, Pharaoh uses the term Elohim here as well. So it's quite possible that as Moses records this down for us, that maybe Pharaoh is not quite there yet theologically, because you could also translate that because of the word Elohim being plural, the spirit of the gods. That would be a more natural reading for a pagan polytheist like Pharaoh, who had a pantheon. But it's at least theoretically possible that he's he's dropping Elohim as a proper name here. 
So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of literally Elohim? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, and I like this, because this almost answers the question for us. Since Elohim has made this known to you, since God has made this known to you, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Oh, my goodness. So make any, any thoughts here, Professor D, of concerning Joseph's counsel to Pharaoh? Because Joseph didn't just stop at the interpretation. He then turned into a counselor, and he yeah. gave official counsel to what he should do without even being asked for it. He just gives it. He had, an, he had an audience, and he went the extra mile. And uh, you know, God, God had been with Joseph all this time, and, and, and everything that Joseph was doing, I, I honestly believe God was preparing Joseph to, to kind of go back to Esther, since you mentioned Mordecai, for such yeah. a time as this. Yeah. For such a time as this, God had been prepping him. He rose him up the ranks in Pat, Potiphar's house. He rose him up the ranks within the prison and now he, he he's given another opportunity to to show again joseph always takes it to god and he wasn't even assuming that it was going to be himself that was going to be the guy that was chosen for this task he was saying get get a wise guy to you know do this and do that but he didn't think he was going to be that wise guy that was going to be selected after all he was a hebrew slave yeah, here we have an Old Testament version of the Holy Spirit. We have the idea of the, the, the Hebrew is uh, Ruach Elohim, the spirit of the gods. And mm -hmm. so he looks at Joseph and who, who can we find a guy like this that has this God spirit? And from, from, jo from Pharaoh's standpoint, he would probably understand this in terms of a polytheistic way, in terms of, okay, every, every divine, divine being is going to have a mouthpiece, so to speak. I and mean, we kind of saw this with Paul and Barnabas, where they thought one of them was Zeus, the other one was Zeus's spokesperson and kind of thing. Like the big God's going to have someone speaking on his behalf. And we might understand that, you know, that could be Pharaoh. One of the roles he might play, you might say, as, as, as a considered a divine being. But yeah, um, anything else about the council there? I, I, I'm not at all surprised, by the way, that they, that, that, his counsel to a government official was tax the people and hang on to that tax for them. Mm -hmm. And then later on, give it back to them in small increments. Yeah. Make them buy it back. I mean, there are government programs that kind of do that already, you know, some kind of a social security network or something. Uh, we do this also, those of us listening who have a mortgage, we, you probably pay, if you have a mortgage, you probably pay a little bit more each month for an escrow account. Mm -hmm. And so, and, but the idea that when you get a tax bill in the mail, you, you essentially can you know, not have to pay it because the mortgage company is going to pay it out of the escrow. Like they'll manage that for you. And so I see like an escrow thing here where take 20% of everything for five years or seven years and hold it into escrow. And I can't imagine any government anywhere not liking that. Like that probably was the best possible advice. Yay, we get to take more money and everyone's going to be happy to do it. Yeah. Because your your God is proclaiming a tax policy for us, and yeah, I I, I can only imagine the, a government liking that. Yeah, I remember uh, between Joseph's uh, original dream and this moment, there have been thirteen years in between that. So you have to believe that in all that time, God was teaching Joseph things in all his experiences. Mm. Do you, do you have any uh, interpretation of maybe Pharaoh's theology? I know I spoke on it briefly. In you know, the thing with, with Pharaoh is that obviously he, he has a worldview that believes in, in the supernatural. He believes in the divine. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, that doesn't mean that he was correct in his, his assessments of, of, of everything. I'm still not convinced that he's necessarily going to be a Yahweh follower or that he really recognizes Yahweh. I, I really do think that he sees God at the moment as the impressive God, but I'm not sure that he's completely sold on him to the point of giving up on all his other gods. 
Yeah, and I, I've also heard it put that him elevating Joseph, it kind of like how a CEO has a bunch of executive vice presidents, but many executive vice presidents. And so one of them is over finance, one of them is over, you know, mm-hmm. building or what. It's like one of them's got stocks or whatever. So uh, Joseph could be one of his many, many executive vice presidents where, where only Pharaoh still outranks him. But there's like a cadre of just a bunch of, you know, executive vice presidents that are going to be underneath him. And it doesn't mean that everyone else in the, in the country submits to him. It doesn't have to mean that. It, it, it just, it's like he, you join this crew of the ones who are going to be, I'm delegating the function of this nation to. And yeah, I, 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 like, I, I like the theology you gave, Nick. I, I like, I'm not even going to take like a cynical thing here too. You know, in Pharaoh's mind, he's probably thinking, you know, this guy's clearly some hot shot. Better keep him close. Right. You know, I mean, it's not like anyone's going to snatch him away. It's not like a company where, boy, I better promote this guy or he's going to leave. Yeah. But I, I think that if in the failure of everybody else yeah. and all their gods they might have called upon, mm-hmm. this guy who was so unwashed and disheveled that he, he had to shave and change clothes to come before me, he spoke truth and it gave me shalom when I didn't have shalom. Yeah. So it's like he's, He's not, he's not a stupid man. He's jumping at this and promoting him enormously. Yeah. All right. So 41 to 57, we got to find out how the Joseph story comes to end here. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck and If we understand Egypt now, everyone talks about Egyptian cotton. Okay, well, there it is. He had him ride in a chariot as a second command, and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. It's kind of a majestic thing to say. He drops an I am there. I am Pharaoh. But without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphanat Paniah. And gave him Asenat, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenat, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and, and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph has said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. Because the famine was severe everywhere. So, Professor D, our first question in this section, what does Pharaoh do for Joseph? He elevates him. He promotes him. Makes him second in command. Yeah, and he, uh, does he leave him lonely? Oh, no. He, uh, <laughs> he, he, he hooks him up. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, well, I've got a note here. You know, that says, it reminds me a lot also with the Potiphar situation. Pretty yeah, much, yeah. you know, hey, Joseph, you're, you're, you're top of the pop, just like you are here now. Everything except for me, myself, you get to be in control of. Wow. And then, and then like, you know, again, he hooks him up with a wife. And uh, obviously to us, it wouldn't mean much. But the fact is she was obviously a connected wife because you know, her because of the, the whole uh, Egyptian priest connection there. So he gets hooked up really nicely. Yeah, I've got a note here that says that 
the the god that she's connected to or the gods that connected to the priest of the god wasn't one wasn't one of the the big two or three but it was up there and mm. so he firmly so evidently one of those priests one of one of those one of those upper upper echelon families had an eligible daughter yeah and uh yeah and so joseph seizes the opportunity given to him and he it's okay hey hey she's they gave it to hers they gave her to him why not i mean my goodness i've heard of having a really nice job you get a company car but he got a company wife and a company family he went from being he went from being a a, a brother to um to someone who's like a, a slave to a prisoner or to a steward to a prisoner who's now exalted in all of egypt who now who had nobody but now has a family he got his family taken away from him and now he had his family now given it back to him a brand new family but still a family he had a ready-made family on the spot like he didn't have to get on one knee and pop the question she was you know given to him it's like marriage here it is and get married and be established and there it is and what are your thoughts make regarding joseph's self-talk or his narrative because he names his two sons but what's interesting here is that it's not so much the translation of their names but he has a story for each of these sons why he names them what he names them he's giving us his self-talk what he's telling himself his narrative you kind of said it for me he's basically saying his journey you know yeah. i have i had to let this go wow. you know i have to forget the past i have to let the past go you know mm. and then recognizing his new circumstances man i've got it good fruitful you know um now i've got it good so there was there's this thing about i needed to forget the past and now i need to to focus on on the present which is which is basically a, a very a very good change for him i think another cool thing with joseph here though is also the fact that you know so you're getting a series of even joseph's name that only gets used here safenath panea you know everybody's got egyptians names except joseph doesn't keep it and nor does he name his kids after egyptians being in the culture that he grew up in mm. and where his kids are growing up he still decides to no 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 i'm going to retain the hebrew in your kids we're not letting go of the Hebrew. And he gives them Hebrew names. Yeah. And the, the note I have for his name, it said it is it is an uncertain translation because you got to imagine this would be something that Moses, you know, Moses would have understood some Egyptian having grown up there himself that we later find out, you know, he's recording the Pentateuch for us, but we're still having things translated back and forth here. So we don't exactly know what this means. The translations I found was, that it means either the God, the God has spoken and he will live or the one who knows. So Pharaoh considers him either like, okay, God's spoken and, and, and we're going to live now or, and this God will live, which if that's the case, uh, the, 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 the name, the, the divine name Yahweh kind of means it's tied back to life. Like he who causes existence, he who causes being itself. That's that. That's why he ties it to "I am that I am." It's like the very, the very ability to have an "am," to have a, an "is our am was were being itself is tied mm -hmm. to Yahweh, the Creator, and the Covenant Maker. And so that that I love that that that's almost like Egypt's way in Egypt, ancient Egyptian language of, of tying something to Yah. So like like where something is like a Hezekiah or Elijah, like that that idea of tying Yahweh's name to someone, to someone's name, like a nickname, that might be Pharaoh's way to do it here. Where it's like the one who knows. How about that as a name? If that's what it means, the one who knows. But Mick, I love what you said there about the boys and his narrative is, uh, well, I, I like what he says here. God's going to cause me to forget um, my, forget all my trouble and all my father's household. That's going to be the big tension, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because we who know how the story progresses, because there's going to be food only in Egypt, everyone's going to have to come to Egypt. And, and, and when they do, if the brothers end up showing up, will Joseph forget his brothers? 
because Joseph's saying that as his self-talk. God has caused me to forgive, to forget my trouble, but he's the one that adds it and all my father's household. So will he forget his father's household? That, that's the tension that the, the original reader is going to have of this. It's like, wow, if he ever sees those brothers again, as unlikely as it seems, if he ever sees them again, will he forget them? Or will he help them? That, that's got to be the tension. And I mean, what do you think about that, Meg? I think his sense of forgetting is more the, the, the sense of forgetting the baggage tied to it. Not necessarily forgetting them as the people per se, you know, like, oh, those are my brothers and those are my family members. But it's more the the bad experience tied to them. And one of the things that I've usually shared with people, forgiveness and salvation are both a moment and a process. I think here we're seeing the moment of it. And we will eventually see the process in the chapters to come. I love that. And I also love his second, his second self-talk here, because it brings up an idea that, that I want to give, I'll, I'll save your, your, your final, um, the final question today is your take-home point. I'll give my take-home point first, because it just, it just has a correlation here. This idea of Joseph said he named his son Ephraim because God has made me fruitful in the time in the land of my suffering. And there's some of us who are listening right now that are going through suffering, that are suffering. And we're we're in this season of our life that just really stinks. And we're, you know, all of us are going through this pandemic and whatever happens with the pandemic and all the all the correlations and consequences and all these things and mandates and all these things going on. And some of us who have been quarantined, some of us who have not really recovered from that, we've got anxiety, we've got depression, we battle shame, we battle guilt, we battle all these things. I like how Joseph brings up the the, the possibility of fruitfulness, even in a time of suffering. So if I take that to a Holy Spirit context, that whatever I'm going through, God can still bring fruit through that. You look at the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Your time of suffering, you may not be ever closer to God than when you're suffering. That might be your time when you, when, as you suffer the most, when God feels most close to you or closest to you. What a great time for God to grow in you patience, to grow in you gentleness and love and peace and all these things, even self-control. I just like how, how Joseph even gives us a category that as I suffer, good could come out of that suffering, fruitful good, like legitimate fruit in my life could come from my time of suffering, whether it's grief, whether it's sorrow, whatever it is. I love that's now a possibility. And I, I love how Joseph's self-talk, like that's a great self-talk for me to have in my depression. That's just a wonderful narrative to maintain. And I love that it comes from Joseph. I love that he sees God at work, even in the land of his suffering. And what's your take home point from this text, Mix? Make well, like yeah, before I get to it, it's like I could see the counselor written all over you in this take in this take home. You know? Yeah, it's, it's all there. But my big actually kind of goes back to the fact that the big takeaway for me is that God is good for it. And the reason I say that is. Again, going back to, to to Pharaoh's dreams and Joseph's dreams. Joseph had his dreams 13 years ago. That's a long time. for, And all you ever saw as the story was going from the initial dream presentation was a series of, of detours and dead ends. It, there was a detour where he went here, and it was like, okay. And then, then that detour turned out to be a dead end because then he ends up in jail. Then he does the good thing he does in jail – Things look like, okay, there's a ray of hope there. And then all of a sudden, he's stuck there for another two years. So when I see this series of detours of dead ends, and and then as Joseph explains to the Pharaoh, hey, the reason that you have this dream in two forms is because God is is letting you know I'm confirming it. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think in, in all these detours and dead ends, as Joseph is saying those words coming out of his mouth, that he himself is thinking, yeah, 
I had two dreams too. And I don't even think he had a chance to even reflect on it or ponder it because everything happened so fast. Next thing you know, he's giving the advice and bam, bam, bam. It just all happens like that. There, there's that, it, it, all of a sudden, all that waiting, there is no more waiting. You know, and it just, it, it just goes to show God's MO. You know, he, he has a time when he's going to do it. He's in control. He's going to do it. And when he does it, boy, does he do it. And we see what happens here. Joseph gets the signet ring of the king. I mean, he, he is the man now. He is the man. And God made him that man. And he knows it. And, and a big confirmation of that is just even the fact that he keeps the Hebrew names of his kids. It's not like he he um, assimilated to the, to the surrounding culture. You know, there's still something there that I'm holding on to my to my roots here, my my Yahweh Hebrew Elohim believing roots, because God is definitely God is good for it, and that's that's like the big takeaway here. You know that that I'm seeing. This is a definitely a major turning point in the story. Yeah, and the story is still not over. Even if I love that, Mick. Even if he was willing to forget. His 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 forget his what he's gone through, forget his his suffering, his father's household. He wasn't willing to forget God. No, and that is a massive takeaway. Yeah. Well, the 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 series of twos continue because <laughs> next session we have Joseph's brothers making two trips to to Egypt, and uh, I look I look forward to the next leg of our journey. As always, this has been Big Rev from Masterclass Theology. And Professor D. Awesome. Have a good night and God bless. Amen and God bless. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode. And I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.